morning, Jayang. Good morning, Sadia. So nice to see you back in Hong Kong and in the studio. Yeah, it's nice to have you in the studio too. And it's really lovely to sit in for Noreen. And as I said, it's always good to get you to do this. Now, today I've actually chosen an artist for you, which, um, you know, has given, given you a bit of thing of doing some homework and stuff. So, Emma Jamal, tell me. It's been a long time since I've sat exams, you know, Sadia. <laughs> but um, this one was quite something, I have to say. This is the first time that we're profiling an instrumentalist. Mm-hmm. We normally talk about great voices of the world, and Emma Jamal is something very, very special. Um, his piano uh, has been an inspiration for many pianists and many jazz musicians, chief among them Miles Davis, mm-hmm. uh, who has written extensively about him and how Emma Jamal's playing influenced his music. Um, all that I can say is that be prepared now to sit back, to relax, to soak it in, um, and to enjoy the calm and, shall I say, reposeful mm. music of mm. Ahmed Jamal. Sounds lovely. Let me just take my shoes off. I'll just get comfortable. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> so now, tell me about Ahmed Jamal, because I actually heard from a friend um, about him, and I hadn't actually heard about him before. I mean, I'm not a specialist by jazz or, or, you know, music is concerned anyway. You are the professional here. Um, but he really has quite an extensive career, doesn't he? Yes, he did. It started in uh, the early 1950s and it was he used to play uh, well into his 80s. He died at uh, the age of uh, 93, I think, mm-hmm. and that was just a few months ago on April 16th, 2023. So he was born Frederick Russell Jones and he converted to Islam in 1950. And he said that his conversion to Islam was uh, quite a pivotal moment in his life because that helped him to deal with his identity as a black uh, musician. And there is obviously he's not the only one. You've got other examples. There's a trumpeter called Suleiman. Uh, in the world of music. And then, of course, you had people like Muhammad Ali. And so um, he started off at a very young age learning um, piano. Actually, it was all triggered by a little incident where his uncle once, while Ahmad Jamal was three years old, challenged him to play the piano, to kind of play something or to imitate his uncle while he played. And this guy rose to the challenge at the age of three. Oh, my goodness. So... (laughs) They started taking piano lessons at the age of six um, and uh, studied both classical music and jazz. In fact, he used to call American jazz music, um, he used to, used, to, used to term that American classical music. Jazz was like American classical music. So he definitely had um, a lot of classical influence and therefore you find that in his music there's a lot of space there is a lot of um, cha- uh, change in uh, variation in rhythm and color. Um, and he's n- unlike any of the other uh, virtuoso pianists, jazz pianists of his time. Mm-hmm. So, you know what? Sometimes I feel that one shouldn't keep talking about music. One should listen to it. Okay. Shall we have a listen to Ahmed's Blues?
Leonard's Blues. What beautiful music. Really great. And I can see what you mean about just relaxing and just chilling out and listening to it because I think jazz has that effect anyway, doesn't it? Yeah, well, it does. But in his case, because there was this classical influence, he understood what space and silence mean meant more than anybody else. And remember, this was at a time when jazz pianists, uh, I mean, uh, you know, were given uh, importance uh, or were um, considered great stars because of their virtuosity, where speed and mm. variation and all of that was the norm. Mm. And here comes this gentleman who says, now, let's calm things down a bit. Let's kind of, you know, explore the space between the notes, which is, you know, as, as a trained musician myself, you know, this is what we were told, that music is the space between notes. Mm-hmm. And this is where music actually happens. This is where magic actually happens. And I think it's something that he um, uh, reproduced on the piano. And as I said, it influenced a whole generation of jazz musicians. In fact, he started off unwittingly a trend towards what was known later known as cool jazz, or smooth jazz maybe, but his own music was not, um, I think it would be wrong to, kind of call it cool jazz uh, at that at that time obviously he was panned by the critics they thought some of them thought it it was fluff mm-hmm. whereas i think it's one of these things where you realize his genius a lot later mm-hmm. you know and therefore i do think that he's one of the unsung heroes i mean i would have i would have thought that he was very much like an insider's musician mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those who knew him knew him. Did you? I mean, whenever we have, um, whenever we look at JJ's music box and we mm-hmm. do that, you know, we go in and listen to artists and things. Um, you've always had a connection, and you've always thought, "Well, I first heard this one uh, when I was this age or that age." Um, with Emma Jamal, is is he someone that you've come across during your travels? No, actually, you know what? I came across Emma Jamal much later. Mm-hmm. And I think this is when you kind of um, expose, uh, and it was much later, and even even then, it was not some it was not somebody who um, I spent many long hours listening to. In fact, I think when you told me that you wanted me, wanted me to profile him, it was the time when I really listened to him properly. Mm-hmm. You know, so I've got to thank, I've got you to thank for this. Oh, That's but nice, because you must credit somebody or other who introduced you to an sure, artist. So sure, sure, great. absolutely. I'm, I'm thrilled. Yeah. Um, now, tell me a little bit more about him, because I know um, it's interesting, because as I said, I found out about him through a friend of mine who was talking about him, and, and he obviously died in April. And, yes. Um, uh, and that's, uh, you know, just last year, uh, this year. And it was quite surprising because, you know, they were saying that we really didn't know he was there. We didn't know anything about his music. And, you know, perhaps it, when he died, there was a lot of obituaries written about him. Lots of, um, you know, the New York Times did something. It was there in the Western side of things. But considering he was Muslim and he had quite an amazing career, it wasn't something that was very prominent within those circles. You mean in the Islamic world? Mm, mm. 
Well, um, I, I cannot speculate on the reasons for that. Um, probably because this is not the uh, this is not the kind of music that you would expect to be very prominent um, in the uh, mid, in, in middle in places like the Middle East or even in Southeast Asia, where there are a sizable number of Muslims. But f- as far as Ahmed was concerned, he spoke about his Muslim faith and about conversion. In fact, um, he said that um, um, you know. He was influenced by Islam and Islamic culture in Detroit, where there was a, a very sizable Muslim community in the 1940s and the 50s. And um, this is when in 1950, he converted uh, to Islam and changed his name to Ahmad Jamal. And a few years later, in an interview, he said that his um, this whole decision stemmed from uh, a desire to, as he said, and I quote, reestablish my original name, unquote. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he explained to the New York Times in an interview that, uh, you know, he was saying that, oh, he says Muslim prayer, prayers five times a day and arises at uh, um, arises at 5 a.m. to say his first prayer. And, and he used to say them in Arabic. Mm-hmm. So it was yeah. quite a change in identity. And I suppose it also helped him to deal with... Um, any racial issues and the fact of his race, it made him much more comfortable being a black, I think, at least from his perspective. Mm-hmm. And we need to put ourselves back into those times where things were very, very different. Very, absolutely. And for a musician to get out there and obviously being black or being Muslim, that in itself was probably a barrier in itself, wasn't it? Yeah. And you remember that when we covered uh, Ella Fitzgerald and I mentioned to you how in the South, uh, where there was segregation in the 50s, um, the police came in and stopped her at her concert um, and would not l- let it continue, saying that, oh, you don't have permission or whatever. And while they were waiting, one of the policemen, white policemen, came up to her and said, ma'am, can I have your autograph? <laughs> oh, this shows you. I mean, it was a very hard job, I think, at that time to actually use your music and to get out there and to get that exposure, wasn't it? Very, yes, it was. It was and very challenging. Yeah, I mean, I think they have to work extra hard That's right. to come up there. But then, you know, um, one of the things was that Ahmad Jamal rarely ever gave major performances. Um, he mostly played uh, the clubs. And in fact, um, one of the other tracks that I've chosen, which we will hear later, is um, from an album called uh, At the Pershing, Mm -hmm. But Not For Me. Mm -hmm. And this was uh, uh, recorded at uh, the Pershing Hotel in uh, Chicago, uh, where he was uh, part of the resident band. So, uh, and that was perhaps the highlight of his career. There was an album which said to have been recorded around 57 or 58, but uh, stayed popular um, towards the late 50s and the early 60s. And that's like considered his um, masterpiece. And that's we're going to be playing that after the news headlines. And that's good sort of eight minutes long, isn't it? It's yeah. quite a, an extensive track there. Yeah, sure. So in terms of his music, I mean, he really was working right up until the time that, you know, soon before he died. Really, yeah. was he still in fact, his last release here uh, was in 2017. Oh, wow. So he was still recording. Yes, he was still recording quite a lot. 
Um, and they said that he had, even in his 80s, he hadn't lost any of the fire uh, that he had earlier. So that's quite an achievement. And I think that also came about because of his uh, discipline and his practice. And um, he said something about his practicing um, that, uh, you know, he used to earlier practice um, not quietly uh, in the with his door open in the hope that someone's going to listen to him. Oh, <laughs> right. But it was like not as if he would practice for 10 hours a day, but he said that he used to think about music a lot. Mm-hmm. And that reminds me of uh, an Indian maestro who said the same thing in an interview when he was asked, how many hours do you practice? And he said, well, I sing for one hour and I think for two. <laughs> that says it all, doesn't yeah. it? Yep. Okay, Jen, thanks. Um, we'll come back with some music and a little bit more about Emma Jamal. We're in International City, this is Radio 3. And you're back to brunch with me, Sadia, and I've got Jayang Jav Javeri here in the studio with JJ's Music Box looking at the work and life of Emma Jamal. Tell me more. Well, I mean, through his lifetime, he has 16 awards. Wow. Including a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award, which, as usually is the case, is awarded so late in your life, you know. Um, which he got in, let me just check here. Um, you had, uh, uh, in 2017, mm. you know, takes a lot. And mind you, he had an award from, um, uh, the French government, the Ordre des Arts et des Lettres, if I can get my French pronunciation right. Um, and I don't see any awards from the American government. You would have thought that he would have had a presidential medal of honor or something or the other, mm. which is quite telling, um, I would say. Yeah, that's a bit sad, isn't it? Really? Yes, it is. It is. I mean, it's, uh, several awards from all kinds of places and honorary doctorates. Um, uh, and uh, he was, in fact, also an educator, apparently. But um, nothing from the gov- from nothing from the U.S. government, which is very, very sad. Mm. And how about um, any other thing in his career now towards the end? Any other significant things that he... So what happened was that um, obviously um, for most of his life he played the acoustic piano. But then during the 70s and the 80s as um, there was a lot of electronic influence on jazz, he also experimented with um, uh, electronic music, uh, with the electric piano, Um, And uh, he moved with the times. But in terms of his own music, he kept it. um, He stuck to his um, style, which was minimalist, um, where he still explored space. And it was not exploring space for the sake of exploring space. It was just something which came very naturally to him. Mm -hmm. And uh, he made very innovative use of rhythm and other... uh, musical and technical elements to create this rather special sound. So the next track that I have chosen as a finale to our program is uh, called Ponciana. It's a jazz standard and it is his interpretation of this and it is from the album Live at Pershing, which really put him on the map. Okay, well, Jung, with that, I'd like to say thank you very much to you for coming in today. Thank you, Sadia. And giving us a lovely insight into Emma Jamal and here's the track. <laughs> 